0: Our scripture reading this morning is from Habakkuk chapter 2, beginning with verse 1 verse, through verse 5. I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. O Father, our Lord and God, now as we hear your word, fill us with your spirit. Soften our hearts that we may delight in your presence. Sharpen our minds that we may discern your truth, shape our wills that we may desire your ways through Jesus Christ our Lord. I pray that response to the reading of the word
1: is your heart this morning to inquire in his temple. Indeed, we have an inquiring prophet uh, before us this morning in Habakkuk as he asks uh, so many questions of the Lord. And the Lord gives him answers that prompt so many more questions as to what God is actually doing. Uh, We know that experience and yet as we look at a text like this, I believe more than just having the resonance of experience in it, we actually have some direction, some guidance by the Lord in this text. It helps us know what it means to really wait on the Lord. That's what we're going to look at together as we consider this passage this morning. Uh, R.L. Smith on this passage, a really well-known Old Testament commentator, says there is no more important passage in the whole book of Habakkuk than Habakkuk chapter 2, specifically verses 1 through 4, and maybe zeroing in even more specifically, verse 4 itself. He says not only is it the most important passage in the book of Habakkuk, but it's, it's possibly the most important passage in the Old Testament. Now, he recognizes as he says that, that's quite a claim, and yes, maybe a bit of a scholarly hyperbole, Uh, but it is a significant passage in large part because that little phrase, living by faith, is a phrase that shows up in the New Testament in some of the most gospel-rich passages that we find. Quoted in the book of Galatians, quoted in the book of Romans, it becomes in some ways a very capsule of speaking about the Christian life and its relationship to Christ and his finished work on the cross. Now, what's fascinating is that language, the most important verses in Habakkuk, the most, possibly most important verses in the Bible, come. Uh, right quickly on the heels of the most heated exchange that we practically see in the Bible. We have seen what we might call a dialogue of protest that has happened in chapter 1 of Habakkuk, where Habakkuk came with a complaint. He looked out at Judah and whom he was, the prophet of the day, and he saw violence. He saw injustice. He saw wrongdoing and iniquity. And he said, Lord, I can't tell that you're doing anything about it. God responds and says, in fact, I am greatly at work. If I were to tell you what I was up to, you would be astounded. You would be utterly wonder-filled. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and hasty and brutal nation. And they who are the most powerful, rising superpower of the day, I'm going to use them to bring judgment on Judah. Indeed, I am very involved. And Habakkuk thought to himself, that's not exactly what I expected to hear. That you were going to raise up the most wicked and ruthless nation to attack your own people and bring them into judgment. And so Habakkuk brings a second complaint. And in the second complaint we hear some of the harshest allegations ever brought before the Lord in the Bible. He he questions whether God is treating humanity like fish. As if the nations of the world are the dragnets that pick us up and do with us whatever it is that they wish, mercilessly kill us. Uh, Lord, are you in a very real sense treating us like less than your image, uh, mere beasts to be fed upon by those who are evil and wicked? And is this ravage going to continue forever? That's where we landed last week. We ended with that question. You can see it there in verse 17 if you have your Bibles open. Is this going to continue forever? And you really, as a reader at this point in the text, you're sitting on the edge of your seat and you're wondering, how is God going to respond to the allegations that are brought to him? But what we might actually see in the text beginning in verse 1 is not an answer from the Lord as so much as it is a pause. A pregnant pause, we might say. In the text, because it's at that very point that we see Habakkuk take up his station. He says in there in verse 1 I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me. In this text, this living by faith, this wanting to hear from the Lord. This raising questions of which you've not gotten clarity. Answers have come that have caused more questions and concerns. This trusting in the Lord while wrestling with him all at the same time. Habakkuk lands in verse 1 in learning what it means to wait on the Lord. Now that's a phrase that we use from time to time when we're in conversation with each other. You know, you just need to wait on the Lord. What do we mean? What do we mean when we say a phrase like wait on the Lord? An often used, but I think largely unclarified statement about what it means to wait on the Lord. But what Habakkuk is actually showing us, what God is showing us in this passage, is that waiting is essential to a vibrant faith. And learning how to wait well upon the Lord is where health to that faith, is strengthened and grows and has a path for walking. As we look at this text together under that heading, Waiting Upon the Lord, I want you to see what Habakkuk does and I want you to see what God says. And I want to look at it with you in three ways. I want you to see first that Habakkuk positions himself to hear from God. That's the first thing we see in this text. When he's in the moment of pause... With all kinds of questions and concerns, he doesn't give up on the Lord, but he positions himself to hear from God. Verse 1, I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower. I will look out to see what he will say to me. It's a beautiful image that Habakkuk gives us. It's the image that we confessed our sins to this morning from Psalm 130. It's the image of a watchman. And this image would have struck home to the hearers of Habakkuk in his day for the ancient cities of old with the walls around them to protect them from the enemies also had what were known as watchtowers. And in those watchtowers were men whose sole responsibility was to keep watch, was to keep their eyes peeled on the horizon to make sure that no enemy was approaching by virtue of their high position. They could see things that though those on the ground could not see. They were in a position to be able to spot enemies long before they uh, came. And so in a very real sense, the watchman held the safety of the city in his hands. And it was his attentiveness to the horizon that ensured the safety of the city over the long haul. Now, from a human perspective, it makes total sense here. I mean, Habakkuk has just heard from the Lord, right? That Babylon is coming. A a wicked nation is going to sweep in and is going to lay you low. And you're going to go into exile. For all Habakkuk knows uh, is the Babylonians are en route right now. Well, I'm the only one in whom God has revealed this. I better go to the watchtower and I better get ready. I want to be able to prepare the people for what may be the ensuing attack but that's actually not what we see as the motivation of backup. It makes sense from a human perspective, but that's not his motivation in the text. Why does he go to the watchtower, whether actually or proverbially, to see what he will say to me? That's the reason he went. He went to hear from the Lord Habakkuk has gone to the watchtower not in human power and perspective for physical military protection he's gone to the watchtower with spiritual eyes to look for and hear from God now when you think of this at this moment in the unfolding of the narrative it's pretty shocking Habakkuk was upset that God was doing nothing God answered him. The answer that God gave him concerned him even more. And now he's complaining to the Lord. He knows that death and exile seem imminent for the people of Israel. In a moment like that where you've received that answer from the Lord, I would suggest that there are two temptations that arise. And I don't think any of us would blame Habakkuk if he gave in to one of these two temptations. The first temptation is to just simply give up on God altogether. Now here he is. But waiting for the demise of the people of Israel to be brought into exile. And he's the prophet who's going to lead them into it. What a grand calling. Uh, What looks to me to be like a failure in terms of ministry. He has come as the prophet of doom and gloom. He's the one who gets the negative word from the Lord. It would be very tempting in that moment to just simply say, hey, I've got this word. Nobody else has got this word. I don't want this calling anymore. I'm going to bolt and protect self and give up on this Yahweh who says he's Israel's protector and is bringing Babylon in to destroy it. This confusion leads me to question and even give up on God. How many times have we been there? Where that sort of thing is unfolding in our lives and we begin to give in to the doubts That would immediately creep in about who God is and begin to actually maybe separate ourselves out from the Lord. Maybe we begin to cease to pray. What good does it do anyway? Maybe we begin to cease with our Bible reading or attending our home fellowship group or coming to church or serving in the way that God has called us to because now doubt has had a paralyzing effect on the call to faithfulness. We no longer are sure we can trust the God in whom we've been serving. It would make total sense that that might be the response of Habakkuk. But he doesn't give in to that temptation. He goes to the watchtower and he waits on the Lord. I think here's a second temptation I think that we experience when this kind of disillusionment and discouragement comes in our walk of faith is we, we try to figure out God. We try to figure out God. You know, what's he really up to? We draw the greatest minds of the day and we scale out philosophical thoughts. We begin to tease out of what it is that he might be doing if one domino falls and another domino falls and another domino Surely this is what it is that he's up to. And we try to discern or divine in some way what it is that God is really trying to do. Habakkuk doesn't do this either. He doesn't give up on God, but he also doesn't use human reason as a means to figure out God. Instead, he goes into the presence of God, and he waits for him. John Calvin writes, the only unfailing security for the faithful is to acquiesce into God's word. The only unfailing security for the faithful is to acquiesce. Into God's word. What's interesting to me. And paradoxical about this text. Is that Habakkuk has just heard from the Lord. And it caused more problems. And questions in his life. And the very thing he wants now more than ever. Is to hear more words. From that God. Part of me would say. I don't want to hear from this God again. It gets more concerning. The more that he says. But for Habakkuk. He's a little bit like Peter. You remember that point in the Gospels where the Lord Jesus Christ has a huge crowd that's before him. And we're told that Jesus doesn't entrust himself to the crowd, meaning he knows what's in the hearts of men. And he preaches a little message about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And it kind of weirded out most everybody Cannibalism was not on the menu for their day and when Jesus started speaking in the forms of eating and drinking himself and if you don't do that you have no part with me you know what we're told? We're told that many stopped following him. And we're told why? For this was a hard saying. It was confusing. It was upsetting. And many quit in fact Jesus actually turns to Peter in that moment you know what he says to Peter Peter are you going to leave me too are you going to give up on me too like the rest of these I love Peter's response because it feels so honest and it feels so much about what we experience often in relationship with the Lord he says where would we go Where would we go? Now, if you just listen, if, if I may, if you just listen to Peter for a little bit, he's saying, Man, if I could find another place. <laughs> man, if I could find some, if, I, if there was something else out there that was as plausible as, as you, I, yeah. And then he ends that little section and he says, Only you have the words of life. I don't particularly love hearing what you have to say. But there's nowhere else to go. So keep speaking. Keep speaking. You know, one of the things we have to do in the moments where we are struggling with God and we're tempted to try to figure him out or we're tempted to give up on him is to stay in it. It's to stay in it. To sit in the watchtower and look attentively. For the way in which the Lord will speak and begin over time to bring light into what feels like utter darkness. This was the way the prophets of old did it. Moses, we're told in Exodus 33, waited on the rock for the revelation of the glory of God. In Numbers 23, Balaam, we're told, turned aside and waits for the revelation of God's purpose. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah was commanded to go up on the mountain and stand in waiting. And God would come to him, and you will remember that he comes in a still, small voice. This is how the prophets have done it of old. In their wrestling with the Lord, they don't turn from him or try to figure him out. They submit their hearts to him. And they stay there. You see, in that waiting... This is really important. This waiting is attentive. It's disciplined. It's diligent. It's a kind of waiting of a watchman. How does a watchman wait? Does he just doze off? No, he's alert. He stands up straight. He sits attentive. He looks at where the enemy might come from, and he wants to be ready. He's prepared. This is not the kind of waiting that you you do agitatedly at the DMV. Where you're shuffling your feet and you're wondering when this is going to be over. This is the kind of attention that says, I need to be alone with God. I need to wait in his word. I need to be open to him in prayer. I need to be ready to hear what he has to say to me one of the reasons we don't hear from the Lord is that we don't sit still long enough for him to speak to our hearts. That's one of the reasons we don't hear from the Lord. It's not that he's not speaking, it's that we're not listening. Is that we're not sitting at his feet, we're running around like Martha, <laughs> rather than Mary who has chosen the better portion. And usually we'll say things like, yeah, I prayed for it, wanting an answer. And we meant that 15-second prayer on the way to work two days ago. And we didn't sit with the Lord like a watchman for the morning. Like a watchman for the morning. Habakkuk shows us that if we're going to hear from the Lord and we're going to wait on Him faithfully, we're going to have to put ourselves in a position to hear from Him. And we're going to have to be committed to that. And what that may mean practically is we're learning to put margins in our life to where we have enough space, where we have prioritized God over all of the other stuff. All of the other stuff. How are you going to hear the Lord in the midst of the noise? How are you going to hear what it is that he has to say if you're not in his word? How's your heart going to be ready to receive what he has to say if you're not prayerful and expectant? It might be hard to hear the Lord, but if you don't give it a try, it makes it that much harder. He's ready and willing to speak, and he's speaking to you now. Even as you hear these words, there are things popping up in your heart. There are things you know about the patterns and the priorities of your life. And there are things that you know that the Lord is saying, make space and time for me. Put yourself in a position to hear the Lord. And I want you to see the second thing. And this comes from God himself in verses 2 and 3. We must submit ourselves to the timing of God. We must submit ourselves to the timing of God. Look, look at what he says in verses 2 and 3. He's, as God comes in response to Habakkuk sitting and waiting, he says this. Write the vision, make it plain on the tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. I love this little section in Habakkuk chapter 2. And I love it because it seems to read oddly. He says, the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens. And it's going to seem slow. It's not slow. It's, it, it's hastening. But when it seems slow... Be sure that it's not delaying. Well, if it hastens, it didn't seem like it would be slow. And if it's slow, would it appear slow? Wouldn't we know if it was slow? He seems to use both of these realities as he's trying to communicate to Habakkuk the unfolding of what he refers to as the appointed time for the vision. The vision we're actually going to see in the end part of this chapter. He's not actually shared the fullness of that vision. He's hinted at it already in in chapter 1, verses uh, 5 to 11, but he hasn't given us the fullness of it. It's coming. He says, I want you to know this, though. There is a vision, and it has an appointed time, and it might feel really different from the timing that you have in mind. And we know that God has that in mind because the word that he uses here for wait in the Hebrew is just simply the Hebrew word for patience. Patience. It's a Hebrew word for patience, which means that God is not merely talking about the activity of waiting. He's talking about the kind of heart we wait with. We wait all kinds of ways. Like I was waiting yesterday for a a page to download on Safari, and it was taking about three seconds too long. And if you're like me, if a web page takes three seconds too long, you click out of it. You don't have time for that. You don't have time for that. You've got to move on to bigger and better things right? I'm sitting there and I'm a little agitated. This, you know, web page is not downloading, you know. God knows that the temptation is for us. If things aren't happening according to the timeline that we've envisioned, we tend to give up on them. He's caring for Habakkuk and he's saying, listen, I'm, I want to know not just the fact of your waiting, I want to know the heart with which you wait. Do you wait agitated? Do you wait frustrated? Are you tapping your toe? Are you breathing heavy and sighs? Or are you waiting with patience? And I think there's several things in this text that help us build patience in waiting on the Lord. I want you to lodge these truths away in your heart. If you're the note taker type, this is your moment. He tells us in this text that everything that happens, happens on time. I want you to think of how relieving that is. Everything that happens in your life happens on time. I have looked back over the course of my life and so many times this is my own testimony about my life. Man, I wished I'd known that about a year ago. I wished I'd known that, you know. In other words, I have a much greater idea as to how my life should unfold than God. It's a subtle way of saying I really don't like the fact that my times are out of my hands. And I really don't think the way in which he's descripted the appointed times are the appointments of the times that I would like to keep. In this text, he says, the vision still awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. In other words, you can trust this. But he says this secondly. You will often feel like God is moving slow. Don't give up. That's what he says. Everything happens according to its appointed time, but it's not going to feel that way. It will often feel like God is moving slow. Don't give up. If it seems slow, notice, wait for it. It will surely come. I love the statement. God knows. God knows that this is true, the appointed time of everything, and he also knows your experience of it is really different from his. And so stay in it. And then I think he says this, number three. You will need to remind yourself of this over and over again. You will need to remind yourself of these two truths over and over again. Why do I say that? Because he says this, write the vision. Make it plain on the tablets so he may run who reads it. You know, I don't know if you've been like me, but sometimes when I look back in the Old Testament and I think, man, if I had just seen God part the Red Sea, you know, if I'd just seen him rain manna from heaven and give water from a rock, I wouldn't have such doubts and concerns and questions. But of course, when you look at the people who saw him do that, what did they do? Doubt and question and Forget. And what does the whole book of Deuteronomy seek to stir them up in? To remember? And how does it teach them to remember? By going back to the word of God. Going back to remember the word of God. The things that we forget. He wants us to be stirred up in them again. He says you're going to need to write this down. Other people are going to need to hear it. You're going to have to rehearse it. You're going to have to remind yourself over and over and over again. That this is true. It's more true than anything else. I have an appointed time for everything that happens under the sun. It's going to seem slow and wrong to you often. Don't give up on it. You will need to remind yourself of this a lot. That's what he's saying to you. And my guess is that rings really true. You see, what the Word of God actually does... I think this is really important in Habakkuk. And I, I think that when he says, write it so that the one who has run, run may read it, he's probably referring to the prophetic office. The prophet that would run and then read the proclamation for the people so that they would be alert and aware of what's going on. Make it plain so that the people who are going to run around preaching about this and saying about this can say it plainly and say it repetitively over and over and over to the people until it actually gets in. It actually begins to get into the head and the heart. And I think what he's trying to say too is that the Bible is like the watchtower. It gives you a perspective that you can't get anywhere else. And you need to get in that watchtower over and over and over to remind yourself of what's true. Have you ever been lost in the woods? I remember getting just terribly lost in the woods as a 12, 13-year-old young man with one of my friends. It was, you know, probably about 45 minutes, but felt like 45 days that we were in the woods. And we're circling, you know, you're circling around and you can't tell if you're headed in the right direction. Of course, no compass. We're in no way prepared for anything as we're in these woods. And we begin circling around and realizing, wait, we're coming back to the same trees and the same rocks and the same places and and we're getting, we're getting nowhere. We're utterly stuck. Now if we were in the midst of the woods. And we saw a tower. And the tower extended over and above the trees. And we climbed that tower. There's, there's a couple of things that would happen. As we looked out. We would see more things. Than we could have seen on the ground. Because we would see further. Further. And we also would see the things that were on the ground and around us differently than we saw them before. It would give us a fresh perspective. We would know where we are. We would know where we need to go. And thus we would know the path to get there. When you climb up into the Bible, so to speak, out of the trees of your life, you get to see the forest. And you get to see the God who planted the forest. And you get to see his pathways. Mysterious as they are. And it feels lost when you're among the trees. But when you can see the forest. You can begin to find your way. You can be reminded. You gain a perspective. That you can't find anywhere else. Write the vision down. And make it plain. Go back to it often and remember. You're going to get lost again. And these truths are going to need to come back to you again. You see, that's the way Scripture works, even as a friend not long ago was listening to me as I was speaking on the phone about some challenges that I was experiencing personally. And as he probably heard me complain, on the other end of that phone, he at one point began to quote James 1. And he said, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet Trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your heart will, prove, will produce steadfastness. And steadfastness, when it has its full effect, will be, make you perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. Indeed, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. And it was like I'd climbed up in a tower. And that which I had been lost in, and was mad at, and was frustrated, and had questions about—all of a sudden, none of that actually changed. But by seeing it from the tower of the Bible, it all changed. It all changed. It happened for Martin Luther around this text. Well, not this text specifically, but Romans one seventeen, where this text is quoted that the righteous shall live by faith. It was 500 years ago this year, 2017, 1517, when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the Wittenberg church door and the Lord had his pleasure in starting what became known as the Reformation and recovered a doctrine called justification by faith alone, which says that we are not saved by how well we can navigate the forest of our lives. And understand and perfectly um, course our way through the maze or the labyrinth of providence. But we are saved by the one who did so perfectly. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. He was utterly faithful. And in the midst of his questions and his concerns in going to the cross. He did so faithfully. And he stayed in it. Even when he had those questions, even in the garden of Gethsemane, when he was on the cusp, we might say, of giving up, being tempted to let this cup pass from me. He didn't. He stayed in it because he wanted the Lord's will. He knew that he was there for redemption. He knew there was a purpose in the shedding of his blood and the rending of his flesh. And he stayed in it to the end. He lived by faith, faithfully. Now we are more like Peter. I believe, help my unbelief. But the beauty is that's who he died for. People who don't believe very well. People who are constantly lost in the woods and need a tower to climb. He died for those who are living by faith and trying to live by faith and failing to live by faith and then picking them up and putting them back on the path of faith. That's who he died for. And every single time he brings you back to the watchtower of his word and you hear the gospel again, aren't you renewed? And don't you see, oh yeah, that's what he's up to. This suffering is not going to kill me. It's going to make me. And if it kills me, it's going to glorify me. That's what he's up to. And Habakkuk was learning that lesson here in Habakkuk 2, 1 through 4. That this is what it means to live by faith. That this is a wonderful, perplexing life. This is a glorious, incomprehensible gospel. And we are a people who are going to have to trust our God when we don't always understand him. That he moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform, right? He plants his footsteps on the sea and he rides upon the storm. That, that his mysteries aren't always plain, but he, William Cooper says, is his own interpreter. He will in time make it plain. Wait Let's pray to that end. Father in heaven, help us. Help us to be a people who don't clamor to know more than we're supposed to. But a people who rest in what we know and in the God who knows. Help us to be a people who bring honest questions to you. A God who will give honest answers. And a God who always in his word faithfully gives us a watchtower. The watchtower that is Christ. It is in the lens of Jesus. Through his eyes. And in his life. That we find our way in trust of you. Today Lord. Work that into us. You know what's needed in this room right now. Come. And encourage your people in the truth. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.